Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Need a fun summer read? The Sweeney Sisters by Leon Dolan is out in paperback now. Leon Dolan, I hear she's great. In fact, best-selling author Susan Wiggs calls the Sweeney Sisters, quote, a story to savor and share. But we call it, quote, a thinly veiled tale of our childhood. <laughs> Judge for yourselves. The Sweeney Sisters is available in paperback and all formats at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your indie bookstore. You know, Jewel, it would also make a great hostess gift for everyone you're visiting this summer. Mm. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a satellite sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. We are so happy you're here today. I'm Leanne Dolan. I live in Pasadena, California. I'm a writer, I'm a producer, and I am excited for this show because <laughs> it, because we're going to tell you why. We're going to tell you why in a second. Right, Liz? <laughs> right. I'm Liz Dolan. I'm in Santa Monica, California. We're all excited. Leanne's the most excited, but we're, we're all excited about this show. We have a lot to tell you. And I'm here drinking, I was just telling you guys, like, nectarine smoothie I made for myself this morning. I think that the whole smoothie lifestyle thing could be the only decent habit I've acquired during the current unpleasantness. That's it. That's it. Everything else is all bad habits, but this is a good one. All right. Good for you, Liz. This is Julie Dolan. I'm the oldest sister. I'm a podcaster and I live in Dallas, Texas. And my big concern this week is I am dog sitting my son's dog and his goldfish. Okay. <sighs> Oh. Goldfish, you know, they're kind of unpredictable. I got the dog, I'm not too worried about, but uh, wish me luck with the little fish. Yeah. <laughs> okay. do, do not overfeed. Okay. I know, Leon, but do not I overfeed. Maybe he's starving to death. No, he's not. He's okay. just... <laughs> he looked really hungry in the tank. <laughs> All right. Uh, why are we excited today? Well, we'll be honest. This is our last show before we go on a little vacation in August. So we're all pretty psyched that after a, a long year of many, many shows, uh, which we've enjoyed doing, this is our last one for a while. So yay to us. Uh, a little bit more <laughs> about what you're going to see in August, see and hear in August, because we will be posting shows. We just won't be recording every week. Mm -hmm. um, okay. We have a great guest on today. I'm really looking forward to talking to my friend and wonderful writer, Naomi Hirahara. She has a new book coming out next week called Clark in Division. It's a historical fiction mystery, and it's just an amazing tale of Japanese Americans post-internment camp relocated to Chicago and something happens. And uh, Naomi has been writing about Japanese American history for years. Uh, but this is her first historical fiction slash mystery novel. So very excited to talk to her. She always has a lot to say. And then Liz, some exciting cooking with Liz news. <laughs> Yes. Do you think do you think cooking is too strong a word for what I'm doing this week? Well, <laughs> listeners can decide on their own. Okay. 
And we are going to talk about the Olympics, of course, some breaking Olympic news right now as we go to uh, we go to record this show, Simone Biles. But we'll be covering all of that in uh, later on in the show. Um, but first, just a couple of personal achievements for me, some milestone milestones. Did you make a smoothie too, plan? No, I find smoothies uh, unsatisfying. So it, it's just a person. Here's my problem with smoothies. I have a smoothie. 20 seconds later, I'm hungry. I don't yeah. find them to fill me up. So I applaud people with the smoothie lifestyle, but for me, it's, it's just too much. So, but two things I did do this week, I, I welcomed the new neighbors. I had them over for a drink. So yay for That's me. That's nice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because yes. the last neighbors who moved into that particular house was nine years ago, and I never had them over, and I really never formed a relationship with them. So I was like, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to get out early. We have these young neighbors. They've just moved in. Uh, you know, good for them. We, we, our houses are fairly close, so we're going to have to interact with them. So I wanted to kick it off to a good start. And so I had them over for an Aperol spritz. I oh. made my homemade ricotta. We sat out. Another neighbor came over. Brought his, they brought their adorable five-year-old son. It was a big hit. I feel like that is a weight off my shoulders. I've, I've done it. I've extended. Okay. So you can, you can proudly wear the good neighbor badge, Leanne. <laughs> I'm you. proud of you. Yeah. But I know what you mean, Leanne. If you don't do it right off the bat, <laughs> right. Then, you know, time can slip away and then it could, then and then it starts to have to build in like importance. Like if it's too much longer, then it's a full meal, you know, yeah. then, it's I, and it was, right. then you have to make dinner or right. something. Yeah. Right. I mean, you want the extra step. I mean, you could have just brought over some cookies or a right. or something, but that's nicely. Good. Well, I did that first, extended the invitation, executed the, you know, come on over for a drink on a Sunday night. It all went great. So I, if you're considering that in your own neighborhood, do it. You'll be very, you'll have a great sense of um, satisfaction afterwards. <laughs> it's, real, it's really a nice way to just get it over with, right? That's <laughs> well, when you think about how many people have moved in the past 18 months, you know, right. uh, and point. we've all been in lockdowns. Right. There hasn't been a lot of, you know, block parties, neighborhood stuff. So good for you, Liam. Yeah. And Plus, haven't you realized in the last, you know, year and a half, like how important your neighbors are? Like yes. having good neighbors yes. has just been a huge benefit to my life during this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, Liz, really, for you, yeah, yes, yeah. you absolutely have turned to your neighbors uh, mm -hmm. time and time again, not only for cooking with Liz, but for other more serious things. <laughs> yes, so. hey, emergency room visits. Yeah, that's <laughs> when you, you really need some people you can count on. So, so, okay, check, welcome, welcome drink with the new neighbors done. And then about six weeks ago, I had an unusual phone call from a friend of mine, um, someone I don't see a lot, but when I see her, I'm always happy to see her, you know, one of those type of friends, like I like yeah. her very much, but we don't, you know, we just see each other at basically other people's parties. So, and she said, this is kind of a weird thing, but my husband's having a big milestone birthday. And I, I wanted to do a poem as a toast, get up and read a poem at the birthday. And I was hoping you might help me with it. And first of all, I just wanted to applaud her instinct. I'm like, that's a great idea. I mm -hmm. really appreciate it when at these parties, these kind of events, people have prepared material. 
Mm -hmm. you know, it's the producer in you land, right? <laughs> you don't like people wandering around with their speeches. I don't. You, know, you don't I, like randomness. You like no. it. You like it, right? Keep it. Yeah, you like people to make an effort, though. Really make an effort. Yeah, it's never a good idea to wing it. You know, and it's just not. You're just going to end up saying the same thing five times. So, um, so and a poem. You know, in our family, we often do uh, poems to commemorate events. Usually, mm -hmm. it's Sheila. Sheila has yes. been the family poet, and she has delivered. Our brother Jim, though, I believe, has written poems on occasion. You know, we've all done other kind of scripted toasts on vacations. Yeah, we, it's poem. a pretty high bar in the Dolan family. Yeah, you know, for me. <laughs> making a toast <laughs> yeah so so I, I was all for the poem very excited and i thought well she'll just send it to me and i'll punch it up but no she actually wanted me to write the poem and oh wow the thing. i i don't really write a lot of poems i mean i haven't written a poem pretty much since fifth grade so i don't so mm -hmm. i mean i killed it in like the sixth grade po poetry contest <laughs> but no doubt Leon. in yeah. a while been a while and i don't know her husband that well so i have to say i was kind of intimidated but i thought well here's what here's what we're gonna do i just want you to send me a list of these things i was like his favorite bands uh your family situation uh where did he go to college who are his friends what are the events that have been important to him you know uh things he says all the time funny quirky habits so she did a great job just sending me a list of all those things and i was like okay i think i have enough material to start with but it is intimidating to write a poem <laughs> for someone's yes. birthday well i can't believe you even agreed I, I mean, you know are you writing it in her voice or it's in your it voice? was well it's it's in my it's it's in my voice i mean she was she didn't yeah i mean yes and no it's i i didn't want i knew i didn't have to make it shakespearean you know <laughs> i wasn't trying to shame as haney it like it wasn't going to be a great poem it's supposed to be her saying it which is why okay. i wanted her to write these phrases down but i still wanted it to be epic and good you know and i wanted it to have a hook and a you know so so that we, you repeated things and maybe there was a you know time for like a prop or a group thing you know Ooh. i had some <laughs> So, okay, good, Leah. Yes, yeah. so chorus, refrain, Julie, exactly. So I, I have to say I nailed it, but I was so intimidated starting it and the clock was ticking and I was like, I gotta start that poem. I gotta start that poem. And so we got it done in a week. She loved it. She said, it's always the best review. And then I say, I laughed, I cried. That was mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. She okay. wanted to make some changes to the order of the poem. And then I explained to her why she was wrong and she agreed. <laughs> Well, that's what she gets when she goes to a pro, you know, and that's what now, she said. Are you, did you get invited to this birthday party? No, we're not invited. No, it's again, we're not that great friends. And we, I don't know the husband. So, but it's even better. Like I said, just you co-wrote the poem. So just don't, you don't have to mention, just own it. Just own the poem. I don't care. Yeah. yeah. But so she was so happy with it. She's going to rehearse it and she's going to let me know how it goes. So that's it. I did my two good deeds. Welcome drink. Ooh poem birthday poem Check. okay done. all right okay leon leon you need to make sure she tells no one <laughs> that you wrote that poem because can you imagine the flood of people that are going to come your way oh, you're going to become like the go-to poem girl that's exactly uh, that. so that's exactly yeah. what i told her mm -hmm. i said this is my gift to you you're a lovely person <laughs> and that's it. but other people oh, that's poetic leon i like that <laughs> Anyway, do you want to yeah. see? Do you want to see the video of her saying the poem? No, I again, I'm not a like. I don't need. I'm sure it's going to be great because it's good, and she loved it, and I'm sure she'll deliver it great. And however she does it, will be great.
Because oh, so it's because it's got some structure. I have full confidence in her. She was very and again, it's not complicated language. It's just <laughs> very straightforward. So okay, well, Leanne, that's quite a combination of things that you thank done. you. Oh, very good. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. well, sisters, I wanted to come to you with a, a public safety announcement. Now, I don't think that uh, this really oh, it could pertain to you, but it, both. I mean, Leanne, you hate hiking, and Liz. Mm -hmm. uh, you're you're gonna you're taking a break from hiking. <laughs> a break is the word. That's correct. Yes. But it may impact walking. Okay, which I know okay. both of you do. Okay. Yes. And here's the big message: the Google can get it wrong. Okay. This was a news story last week that I don't understand why people are doing this, but people are planning their hikes and their walks in the wild with Google. Okay. They're not rely. They're relying solely on their cell phones for navigation. Okay. You wow, know what a lot of disdain in your voice. <laughs> okay, this is just such a bad idea, Leanne. Okay, first of all, can we talk about cell coverage and yeah, how it right. is? Like, you know, you just look at the look at your little phone until you're in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, where Rangers report every week the people are getting stuck due to lack of cell coverage. They start off on these Google trips and then they get into the woods well, and they don't know which way to go. Okay, that's not good. Okay, I know we try to be understanding, but that is just so stupid. Okay. That, you know, you know. That's harsh. Well, how about this, Liz? Hikers in Scotland were being set up on a potentially fatal, fatal route by Google Maps. Accordingly, there's a big mountain in Scotland, Ben Nevis, okay? And that if you Google Map it, it directs people to this Upper Falls parking lot, which is nearest the summit. Okay, so that mm -hmm. sounds good, right? Yeah, start at the summit, that's what I say, yeah. You know, I don't have to hike as far, <laughs> right? Good idea. But here's the problem, okay, that this, this route to the summit um, was a pathless terrain, straight up, okay? So people were going up uh, and they were just, you know, scrambling in the scree that this was terrible, okay? Very people are idiots. I mean, that's it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, I, know, I think there's some, when you see it on Google, you think, okay, well, it must be a uh, thing. It must be a thing because Google's so smart. They would never <laughs> yeah. send me up some pathless terrain. Or how about they have another, another trail in, um, in Scotland where it took you over a cliff. Okay. Okay. That these are, you know, and so now the hiking community in Scotland is saying these are highly dangerous, even for mm -hmm. experienced climbers. So mm -hmm. I think the answer is, you know, you got, uh, Google can be wrong. Okay. Right. You, you want a map, maybe a guidebook. You right. want some written description of where you're going. Okay. Cause the, right. Some totally analog. Way yes. of doing it. Yes. Julie, a couple months ago, didn't you recommend an app that is all the great hiking trails and all the national parks in the yes. U.S.? Yes. I so think we have. I think we have provided a service in this area. Yes. Okay. So I just people, I don't want you going out in the woods by yourself with just the Google. Okay. It's not enough. All right. Please. All I can think of is that scene in the office where Michael Scott is listening to his directions and he drives straight into the lake. <laughs> He's like, but Google's telling me to go straight. <laughs> Dwight's like, there's a lake. He goes, but Google's telling me to go straight. I think I, I think that's it. I think we just we like give up our decision making, our rational being, right, right. to our yes. phones, just whatever yeah. it takes. Okay, save yourselves, people. All right. Well, today is Tuesday. I have Tuesday trends, but today 
I have just one trend for you, Liz and Leanne. Okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. This is such a big trend that it needs needs its own segment. Okay. I couldn't cram in other trends. So of course I am talking about tiny purses or <laughs> mini bags. Have you seen these? Okay. Now I know you're thinking, Julie, tiny purses, that was big in 2019 yeah. and this is 2020. But here's this is what, 2021, 2021 actually. Oh, 2021. <laughs> yes. Okay. See my point? Okay. <laughs> Even worse. Yes. Okay. The mini bags, the tiny purse, they have lasting power. Okay. Why? Well, there are many good reasons. Now, you know what I'm talking about by the mini, mini bags. Those no, teeny, no. tiny bags that you see pop stars carrying, you know, yes. on Instagram. That's amazing. Oh, okay. 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 Now, here's the thing. Here's the reason why it is such a lasting trend. And you can buy a tiny purse, a mini bag at Zara for $50, or you can spend thousands of dollars at Chanel for a constellation of mini mini bags. Just think about that, Liz Dolan. Mm. I'm thinking I'm uh, Yeah, that's I'll get, I'll get does you, not I'll, appeal to me at all. Okay. I'll get to I'll get to you in a second. Why how I'm much afraid. fits in a mini bag? I'm okay, sorry, I don't mean well, to jump ahead. Well, see, that's the whole point. Nothing. Okay. We want our hands free, Liz. Okay. This well, is this is post-COVID, okay? We didn't have to carry anything around during COVID, all right? Those, that big tote that we all used to carry with the shoes, the water yeah. bottle, the phone, the wallet, okay? We, we were lugging around those around for years, okay? Now we're, we've gone through a pandemic, so we want hands-free, mini bag, okay? Now, here's the thing about a mini bag is, you know, I was always worried, like, well, where are you going to put the phone? But right. The, if you're carrying a mini bag, you're also carrying your phone. That's you never put your phone away. Okay, you either have it on your body or you have it in your hand, and then you have your other little hand on your mini bag. Okay, or your tiny purse. Okay, so a lot of people are finding this life changing. Okay, because they were always the luggers in the family. Leanne, you can you can. Oh yeah, can you hold my keys? Can you? Uh, yeah, mom, yes, can you carry yes, this? Yeah, I know. Like oh yeah, but just put it all in my giant bag. No, no. I can't carry any of your stuff anymore because I just have a mini bag. See how, see how, see how the power shifts there, Leanne? Mm -hmm. See how that could be really good? Another reason why tiny purses are really have lasting power is because uh, you're not touching a lot, okay? Because they're so small. It's not like you're rummaging around. You don't have a big surface. Again, that could be germy. Our sister Sheila, I think, is ideal for a tiny purse or a mini bag because she doesn't like to touch anything or anybody. It's less <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know. You're does this attach to your body in any way or you're just Liz, you're... you can get you can get a clip on. So that's why I thought you might want to clip it on your walking stick a little bit. <laughs> Clip it on my my. I mean, Liz, you, you don't you don't even like big purses. You never like the big tote. No, you that's like true. to be hands free. I think I was always crossbody bag. You know, okay. Okay. crossbody. And now I've got the like a mini backpack because that's the best for me when I'm on the crutches. But but not super mini. Just a nice free mini backpack I got from FabFitFun. 
<laughs> so. But see, but see, the backpack you still have to take it off. See, if you yeah. had the little mini bag, it would be right there. You just your credit card, your key. That's all you need, Liz. Okay. No, see, the mini bag I'm totally losing because then if it's not attached to me, I'm putting it down somewhere. I'm I'm walking off. I just they have wristlets, Liz. Don't don't fight this. Don't fight this, Liz. They have wristlets. You can you can just attach it. You can clip it onto your jeans. It's a good look. It's sort of the whole less is more Marie Kondo spirit, and of course. Me, uh, tiny purses look really good in Instagram. Okay, I think mm -hmm. that may be their chief function. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm looking at some Instagram photos now of of stars and their tiny bags, and they they're super cute in these photos. Yes, where See? they where someone has already styled them, they don't have to go anywhere. They're just holding little tiny little <laughs> Louis Vuitton bags. It's very See? cute. Yeah, yeah, I see it. I Julie. think we can do it. Yeah. Okay. Julie's no, huge. no, I, I, let's try it. You go first. <laughs> I thought Liz was the ideal person because I, I, I thought, I just thought that you, you know, you I've like never wanted to hold on to a bag. So, you know, but this is, this is like the worst. This is like a fanny pack without the pack part of it, right? It's just, yes. it's very small space to put your stuff. I don't know. Um, well, I'm going to let someone else go first on that one, or just, or just appreciate on appreciate it on Instagram. Okay. Uh, all right, that's a good one though, Jewel, because the trend, if that's persisted for several years now, we just have to pay attention to it here at Satellite Sisters, yeah. right? We I'm cannot really get behind the curve, right? <laughs> okay, I do have a big announcement to make, or this is more of a reminder. So here we are. It's July. Uh, you know that for the five Thursday nights in July, I've been doing the Cooking with Liz Summer of Snacks series. So this Thursday is the last Thursday in July. So this is the big finale. But when I put the schedule and the plan together, I hadn't quite factored in the idea that I was going to be out of town on a little mini vacation this Thursday. So. Here's what I'm making this Thursday live on Cooking with Liz. Um, popcorn. That's it. That's yeah. it. Okay, popcorn. That's, you can put that in your mini bag, Liz. <laughs> a couple of kernels. There we go. And I think I announced herbed popcorn. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's very TBD, the herb part of it. I'm just going <laughs> to... I just, I do not know what facilities I'm going to have. Do I really want to bring herbs with me? I, I don't know. I'm going to have to make some decisions before I leave town. But I will be, so, but this is popcorn on location, people. Mm. So I mm -hmm. may be dialing down the actual cooking part. Yeah. But it's a legit snack and it's on location. So yes, um, I was okay. my suggestion because herbs popcorn is delicious. Like when yeah. you go someplace and someone has done some fancy popcorn, you're like, ooh, this is yeah. really good. I should serve this. So yeah. great. Yeah. Okay, so I, Liz, that's okay. Okay, thank you. I have the recipe. It's just yeah. the rest of it is TBD. Yeah. So again, where can you see Cooking with Liz live? It's in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. If you are not a member, you can join. We let you in as long as you answer the, you know, the few questions we have there. We're just trying to establish that you are, in fact, a human being. And um, so it's live at 5 p.m. Pacific time, which is 8 p.m. Eastern. And it'll just be me and the popcorn in a secret location. Okay. So um, 
And I'm assuming that there is cell service or some kind of Wi-Fi where I'm going to be, because that's going to be required. <laughs> I for hope so. Are, you doing, are you doing a, a beverage with this too, Liz, or just popcorn? I'm going to have some kind of beverage again. That's in the TBD department. How much okay. do I want to schlep a beverage with me? Do I want, I'm going to, I'll have something. Yes, I'll have something. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is quite a preview. Sounds like I know. don't miss I it. Know. I mean, there's just going to be chock full of surprises there. But it will be, it, we will be wrapping up the summer of snacks. So like mm -hmm. I may just be reflecting back on the last four weeks while I eat my popcorn. It might, it might have that vibe to it. So there you go. Cooking okay. with Liz, Summer of Snacks, finale, Thursday, 5 p.m. Pacific, Satellite Sisters Facebook group. All right. Thanks, Liz. Uh, just a reminder, we will have be posting shows that are new to you in August. <laughs> Remember when we did that whole new to you series? Yeah. Um, oh. So we have four shows. We're starting next week with our anniversary show. So if you missed our 20th anniversary celebration, we have the audio for you and you can listen to it as a podcast, or maybe you were there. Maybe you shared in the magic, but you want to re-listen. Do because you'll laugh and you will like sob at the end. Cause I know <laughs> I did. So that's going to be a show. We're so well happy to welcome three of the women from Friends and Fiction onto the show on the next week. So we're talking about their new books, but we're also talking about their really interesting life stories as writers and other fun things they do in their lives. So that was a really fun show to put together. Then we have a couple of best of segments of just fun segments. And you know what? It was kind of challenging to find fun segments from the last year, but we did it, people. We pulled it out. <laughs> They're hilarious. We have some very funny segments. It was a serious year, but there were yes. moments of levity. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. So uh, that was a stretch, but we did it. So the last couple of shows are just our favorite fun segments from the year. So again, you don't have to do anything. It's going to pop up in your feed and I will still be producing um, a pep talk for uh, the week. But if you mm -hmm. see us not doing as much on social and stuff like that, you'll know why. We're just taking a little break here in August. Um, speaking of taking a break, we're going to take a break now to thank some sponsors. Coming up, our interview with author Naomi Hirahara. Liz, summer is coming up, and you know what that means? It means you're grilling. You're grilling and chilling sure. there yes. with, your, with your butcher box. What, what do you got going on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the thing. Because I'm going to be up in, in Bend for a part of the summer, yeah. I'm having my box sent there, Leanne. That's I mean, great. Go on vacation with your butcher box is what, uh, what, uh, what I'm recommending. Yeah, by the way, you're just going to buy meat and fish and stuff when you get there. Why do that? Anyway, you know, I love their steaks. I love their scallops. The scallops are really good. And the chicken thighs, all good. I'm ready. That's right. Butcher Box gives you peace of mind and easy to find high quality meat and seafood you can trust. It's 100% grass fed beef, free range organic chicken pork that's raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood, no antibiotics or added hormones. And as Liz said, delivered right to your doorstep. And you can customize that delivery plan, Liz, right? Because yeah. it can go wherever you want it to go, whenever you want it to go. If you want to delay it a week, you know, speed it up a week, you just go to your ButcherBox account and you can make that all happen. It's so easy to manage online. Yeah. And if you're like Liz, you can take your ButcherBox on vacation, which is... <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> nice to have something familiar there. <laughs> yes. So if you want to take your meat on vacation, sign up at butcherbox.com slash sisters and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional 20% off. So you can choose salmon, 
chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sisters and use code sisters to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. Naomi Hirahara is an American writer and journalist. She edited the largest Japanese-American daily paper, the Rafu Shinpo, for several years. She's currently a writer of both fiction and nonfiction works and the Edgar Award-winning mystery series, Mas Arai. Her latest novel, Clark and Division, is out August 3rd. Naomi, yay, welcome to Satellite Sisters. Congratulations on the new book. Thank you so much. And it's a bit surreal to be with the Satellite Sisters. I've been with you during the pandemic. You've really helped me out. So thank you very much. Oh, oh Naomi, that's, that's so really nice. nice of you to say. Well, I should tell everybody, too, that we have been friends for about 10 years. You live in Pasadena. Um, do you live in Altadena, technically? No, um, I, th th that was my early years, but now okay. I'm Pasadena proper. <laughs> okay. I'm in the Dinas. That's okay. what the cool people call it. It <laughs> is what the cool people call it. But I feel like I've learned so much from you about how to be an author in the world. You know, you're just so wonderful about talking about your work and combining all of your interests. You're so lovely in person. I saw you enshrined at the Romans Hall of Fame where you put your handprints in wet cement right out in front of our great indie bookstore. So I'd like to thank you for teaching me a little bit about how to be an author. Welcome. Okay, so how do you describe yourself? Because you, your bio is writer, journalist, historian, chronicler. When you think about like what you do, how, how do you describe yourself? I usually do say I'm a mystery writer and social historian. And I do the mystery writer because I think it's a little disarming for people. You know, they might see that, oh, she writes history, so it might must be kind of fuddy-duddy, you know, intellectual stuff. But when you um, add mystery, they're like, ooh, that's unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And, but what about the social historian part? Like, how did that start? And, you know, are you trained in that? Or is that just something that comes naturally to you? You know, I took one of those tests, you know, all the different personalities. I can't even remember which one it was. And my number one trait was like context. And I was like, livid. I was like, context. <laughs> That sounds boring. It's not Is like that a career contact. <laughs> <laughs> it it might have been a work um, oriented uh, test, uh -huh. but it's basically for people who like to understand like the larger story behind um, a, a, a happening or a people or a person. And then when I kind of dug deeper, I go, oh yeah, that is me. Like when I go and on you know on a trip. I kind of like to ex excavate, you know, not literally, but like what was here before, you know, and I, I, I think that somehow the layers of people kind of inform who the people are today. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of just my thing. I just naturally, you know, growing up, I loved books like that were set in like um, Florida, you know, and it was like, uh, Ooh, exotic. The, yeah, no, but <laughs> this is like, you know, cotton in my sack, you know, the strawberry girl, these were like, you know, itinerant, you know, uh, 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 farm workers, mm -hmm. you know, and from another era, or it was like, um, the, the story of the uh, Jews in the um, tenement district of, mm -hmm. of New York City, you know, and it's just 
something like that. Just I'm just naturally attracted to kind of social uh, groups and and their homes and how they establish themselves. So that's how I'm naturally wired. But I will say, working at the Rafu Shinpo and Rafu is the old name for Los Angeles. Actually, I think the Japanese took it from the Chinese. So what else is new? And Shinpo means newspaper, so that's where、oh, it all comes. Okay. So that, but.、Um, So I think my years of working at the paper as a reporter and an editor, and it, it, this was for a very niche audience, and it was about Japanese Americans,、um, and it was during the redress and reparations movement, where、uh, people were, you know,、uh, lobbying their Congress people, their politicians, and trying to redress a wrong that had been committed in the past. And to tell you the truth, Leanne, this is—I'm an outsider because my parents were not in camp; they were in in Japan, in Hiroshima, dealing with their own things during World War II. So it, this is something I had to put muscle in to learn, to interview, and、um, just、uh-huh. all these stories during a very seminal、um, era during in the 20th century. You know, I've, so I've been collecting stories. I think Soho、uh, Crime, my publisher, they in some description they said, "Oh, Naomi Hirohara has been doing this for 35 years," and I'm going 35 years, <laughs> and then I I kind of calculated. I go, "Yeah, since the you know my 20s when I was working at the newspaper, I have been collecting these kind of stories from the World War II era." So yeah, it's. I guess it's now in my. It's it wasn't in my blood, but now it's been forced in my blood. Now it's part of you. Now it's、yes. part of you. Well, you sort of glossed over, not glossed over, but your personal history is sort of extraordinary. That both your parents were in Hiroshima、uh, when the bomb went off. So I can tell you, Naomi, honestly, I have learned more about Japanese American history from your Twitter feed than I ever learned in school. I, I, I'm wondering, can't be the first person to say that, am I? I mean, I I really like. Credit you with teaching me a lot about California history because that's not something we learned growing up in Connecticut, and I am continually surprised by it. So I just is do other people say that to you? I think some people do say like my Facebook. They enjoyed my post because they、yes. you know learn things, and I just like to do kind of fun facts. You know, it's not like okay, I'm going to teach you a lesson. It's it's more organic, like it. Um, maybe I encountered someone with that particular history, or you know, I wrote a book. I wrote a, you know, several books. One was on Terminal Island, and one was on the flower market. And I've written a lot on agriculture and horticulture. And I think that's a, a literally a very organic way, you know,、mm-hmm. to talk about history. Talk about the camellias, you know, at Descanso Gardens, which are. Very close by, and there's this, you know, dark history of how they were acquired during World War II, and now、yeah. we walk through, and there we enjoy them, you know. So that's why I kind of like talking about plants, or although secret, I kill plants. <laughs> <laughs> you can only write about plants. <laughs> yeah, I, and enjoy them, and go to public, you know, go to my friends, you know, and my mother's beautiful garden. But I, I do appreciate them, and I, I do appreciate the stories behind them as well. 
Well, your new book, Clark and Division, comes out in early August. So if you're listening to this in July, please pre-order. If you're listening to this in August, go get it now. It's on our best beach bag books list for a reason. It's just eye-opening. It's poignant. It's the story of a young woman searching for the truth about her revered older sister's death. Um, but it's set uh, in Chicago, and it involves um, the resettlement of Japanese Americans' families that were released from mass incarceration at Manzanar during World War II. So it incorporates a ton of history. You've never written historical fiction before. So why did you decide this was the time for this story? You know, that's a really good point. You, I mean, I was wondering, why haven't I done this before? Right. <laughs> I, but I've done nonfiction. The funny thing is, um, I like writing about really old people because my Masarai series is an old gardener. You know, he goes from 69 to his 80s. And then I'd like to write about very young women, like in their 20s. Mm -hmm. Very bizarre. So <laughs> with this Clark and Division, I could kind of combine those two. It's like set in the past, but I could put a young person in there. So um, um, it just warranted, you know, in not many people know about the resettlement of Japanese Americans in Chicago before. No idea. I had yeah. no idea. It was an eye opening to me. Yeah. It was the uh, number one destination for uh, people leaving camp. And so uh, before World War II, there were 400 Japanese Americans. By the mid 40s, there were 20,000. Wow. So, uh, but they didn't stay there. You know, yeah. uh, you know, they eventually went back to their homes on the West Coast. And there's really no physical remnant, you know, and um, the government was telling people don't congregate in groups, you know, in ethnic specific groups. Well, well what are people are supposed to do? They're in this new place. And, you know, right. but, but as a result, there was no, no formal like Japantown. Okay. You know, that was established. There's no statue, you know, there's no any kind of physical marking. So, you know, in fact, that Clark and Division area, I, that's actually a neighborhood where uh, Japanese Americans first went to from camp and there were a lot of boarding houses and other kind of um, housing for them. And uh, when I, uh, a friend was my guide, a Chicagoan who, you know, there's always a, someone who's really crazy about history and he, mm -hmm. this gentleman took me around and, you know, now there's like an LA tanning center, you know, there's a big drugstore. That's, that's what's kind of left over. So th that, I think that's where the job of the novelist comes in, right? Because we yeah. can imagine what was there and bring it to life. I wanted to ask you about that. Was it hard to kind of turn off historian Naomi and turn on fiction writer Naomi? Because you have so much information about this. But ultimately, fiction is, is about characters. You know, it's there's setting and there's time and place. But was it hard to do that? You know, uh, you're exactly right. I mean, it's really a story about a younger sister. Yes. Yeah. That's really the heart of it. And I think with uh, history, because that's going to be nonfiction, you know, there's got to be some other kind of narrative that moves through the story. So I think that, um, yeah, uh, when I hit a pot, I was playing around with different, like, who's going to tell the story? And um, I was, I, I 
I'm an older sister with a younger brother. I don't have any sisters. Mm. So even more than the history portion about it, it, uh, it was getting into the head of the younger sister in that in some ways was more challenging for me. I mean, I had to even interview my friends who are, you know, the younger sister uh, of... of Luckily, she did not interview me because the younger, the the older sister comes off pretty good. (laughs) I'm kidding. Yeah, you do do an amazing job because she's, I mean, it's her job. She gets there and she needs to figure out what happened to her sister and no one else seems to care. And that's just, that's a huge burden. And there was some really wonderful scenes where I thought you really got that. So I'm surprised. I didn't realize you didn't have a sister. I'm surprised to hear you say that because I think you really nailed the sister relationship. Yeah. And it had to be like people who only had one sister, you know, and they were in the shadow of the star sister. You know, I, I needed to get that kind of dynamic. And I've known people in those kind of situations. And see, see I'm the star sister because I'm the oldest. So. Right. That's what you think <laughs> anyway. Yes. That's what older sisters always think. <laughs> They're the glue. <laughs> yep. <Okay>. Yep. <laughs> Um, but you do weave a lot of history into the book. So it is this, I mean, it's a mystery. It's a page turner. You're trying to figure it out. And so if you're a mystery fan, you'll love it. But I loved the infusion of historical fiction. Did you nail that on the first draft or did you like put too much history up front? Did your editor have to work with you on, you know, combing out some of it and and making it more character driven? Or did you, how, how did that work on your first and second drafts? You know what? I actually had to um, insert more context. Okay. Uh, I I went the other way around. I I tend not to overwrite. um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think I make assumptions like, yeah, everybody knows this. Everyone knows Raplu is like Los Angeles, you know, it's like, I, you know, so uh, the tricky part is how do you insert information and make it kind of invisible? So People, the reader isn't going, aha, you know, I'm being taught something. This right. is something didactic. But every, what's difficult is every little line, you know, like one section I'm talking because my protagonist's father works at the produce market and there's a list of um, like Hale's cantaloupes from Imperial Valley, you know, just a line of where all this produce came from in, you know, different parts of Southern California. And each one of those vegetables, you know, the, uh, they, you know, the, that one little portion of it requires some kind of knowledge. And I think that's the tough part of historical fiction. I did get something wrong that was caught before publication. And this is probably something you all knew that beer cans, you know, they didn't have the tab, right? Oh, and yeah. In the 1940s, you had to use... Um, the can opener and yeah. And, and that was uh, something I meant, you know, it's just some, I think that's the difficulty of historical fiction is that there's so many different facets. I'm talking about an ethnic community. I'm talking about this, um, uh, the governmental, you know, uh, release, how they, their policies regarding these incarcerated people, you know, there's all these different facets, but of course I got the beer can wrong (laughs) (laughs) and and luckily it was corrected or else I know I would get a slew of emails (laughs) concerning that. (laughs) I was just thinking that I'm sure historical fiction fans love to nail authors on stuff like that. (laughs) 
<laughs> do you, I mean, you can't write, um, because of the way the fiction cycle works, you're, you're working on a book for a year. It takes a year to bring it to market. Um, so you can't really predict like what's going to be happening politically or socially or trend wise in the country. It's very difficult to try to do that. But you, this book does arrive at a moment where we've seen this unprecedented violence towards the Asian American community. Is there some part of you that hopes this this teaches people something or just exposes readers of mysteries who might not know about this history to historically what, what this particular community has been through? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to show the humanity of these people and there's certain aspects, like I don't think people knew that, um, you know, folks were maybe drafted, you know, into the U.S. Army from the camps, you know. From the camps, yeah. And then if they were killed in action, you know, some there were funerals that were in camp. I mean, what kind of irony is that, you know? So I think also um, in, because it's set in Chicago, you know, that's, again, another surprise. I think we on the West Coast are kind of familiar with the story, but we kind of think, oh, you know, there's, it, it didn't really touch the Midwest, but to um, kind of hear what these people went through and also to kind of contrast, because Japanese Americans in the, you know, in Chicago, if they lived there during World War II, they were not relocated, right? Right. So it, it, it's such a weird kind of um, scenario to, to have these people from California meet the people from Chicago. And it's like, and, and they're living life as, you know, normally with all their, surrounded by their pets, having their fine china and, you know, having their, retaining their jobs that they had before World War II. So um, I think, you know, those, and then also there was um, interracial, there was, mar you know, um, interracial marriage that was allowed in the Midwest that wasn't allowed, uh, you know, in California. So there's like all these kind of surprises. And I think readers want to be surprised. So that's what I hope to bring in Clark and Division. Well, it's a wonderful book. And you have a ton of great events scheduled. Um, but what I like is that your mystery writers, you seem to have your own community, right? So you have events that are being hosted by Sarah Paretsky and Michael Connolly and Kara Black. But I see you all on Twitter. Are you all friends, mystery, <laughs> mystery writers? Because you seem very supportive of each other. The thing about mystery writers is because our readers are so voracious and they go through one book and and another. So in a way, we, we're not as competitive maybe as like other, you know, maybe literary type genres because, you know, that people are, are always saying, what's next book I can read, you know, and you could only write so fast, right? <laughs> right. So, and I think, yeah, there is definitely a camaraderie. I mean, one thing that's weird during the pandemic is I got to spend more time with Michael Connolly than I ever had <laughs> before, like, you know, on Zoom. And it's been great. And it, he's a former journalist. We figured out I was at the Japanese American paper when he was at the LA Times and it's like blocks away, you know, at the same time in the mm -hmm. 1980s and 90s. So, yeah, it's interesting the way we've, been discovering new things about each other, even during the lockdown. 
Well, it is true. I mean, we over there in the uh, women's fiction genre, we feel the same way because people tend to read book after book. And so uh, we're not really competitors. At least that's what I like to think. But then I noticed just this week, like three big books also being released released on the same pub date as mine for next year. I was like, oh. gosh, darn it. Why do I have to be on the same day as so-and-so? <laughs> so. You're bringing something different to to the conversation, Leanne. Thank you, Naomi. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> are, are you excited about this book in a different way than you have been about your others? Because this is a hardback. It's, it seems to be getting a lot of press. We're not the only ones that love it. It's getting great advanced reviews. Is that, uh, is that something that excites you or makes you nervous? How do you feel right now as you go into I, the launch? I mean, it's, it's very surreal. I am yeah. a paperback writer, Leanne. You know, that's yeah. my husband kind of teases me, but you know, I, I haven't minded. I write kind of idiosyncratic characters. So it's like, if you don't want to pay $30, well, this, my book costs 15, you know? So, <laughs> you know, and that was fine with me, but I think this hardback and Soho has done a beautiful job. If you see the finished project product, we have like a map, you know, in the end oh. papers oh. and it's just, and, and yeah, and I'm thinking, I want to produce like beautiful objects, you know, if it's going to come out in hard, hardback, I want it to be worth the people's money. And, and I'm hoping people will have this in their backdrop of their Zoom, <laughs> Zoom <laughs> meetings. <laughs> Well, Naomi, we're so excited for you. The book is Clark and Division. We were so happy to get advanced copies and be able to read it and put it on our best beach bag books list because it's great historical fiction that meets great mystery and it's a sister story. So we wish you all the best, Naomi. Have a, have a fantastic book tour. Thank you for having me. Liz and Leanne here, and we are so grateful to have Osea support Satellite Sisters. Why? Because it's just a great product. Holy cow, do we... We love Osea's skin and body care. And you know what? This Mother's Day, just look no further than Osea. Spoil the moms in your life with the little luxuries from Osea. The moms, the stepmoms, the bonus moms, the people who bring a touch of something special to your life, aunts, grandmothers, they would love a little Osea this Mother's Day. And you can get 10% off your first order by using our code SATSISTERS at OseaMalibu.com. And Liz, you know what every mother and mother figure needs? What? More moisture, Liz. They need more moisture in their skin. <laughs> in no their kidding. skin. I mean, really, the creams, the lotions, the oils. I love it all. That duo they have going. Oh. Like, you can't miss with the duo of Osea. Liz, the Mega Moisture Duo, yes. you, can, you can literally see your skin get firmer, and it just delivers this full-body glow. Okay, you know we have raved about the Andaria Algae Body Oil. Mm -hmm. Well, pair that with the Andaria Collagen Body Oil. Youthful, yeah. Liz. A youthful yeah. glow is going to happen. <laughs> and it's infused with Osea's signature Andaria Seaweed. So it just smells so delicious, doesn't it? I know you're talking about giving it as a gift. I also suggest just giving it to yourself <laughs> because you're worth it. <laughs> That's true. 
That is absolutely true. Okay, that moisture duo I mentioned too is a great value because you can save 16% plus the extra 10% with our code Sad Sisters. So this is it. This is a win-win-win Mother's Day gift. Spoil the moms in your life with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code SATSISTERS at OseaMalibu.com. And you get free samples in every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. So head on over to OseaMalibu.com and use code SATSISTERS for 10% off. Thanks, Osea. All right, okay. we're back. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry. No, go for it. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Can you tell we're in the Olympic spirit? Yeah, love it. Love it. We do have some Olympic headlines and a few things we want to talk about. But first, I want to thank to Satellite Sisters listeners who are bringing more of Japan uh, to us. The first is Becky, who has been posting. She lives in Tokyo and has been posting pictures of all of the Olympic venues and what's going on there in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. So it's very fun to see that and to see her commentary on what's going on around the city. So thank you, Becky. Yeah, those have been great. And because yeah. it's hot and she is wandering around and she's taking movies and she's doing commentary. It's great. Thank you, Becky. I mean, I, love I mean, it's Japan is such a great country. It's, you know, and it's uh, a pity, as we've said before, that there can't be more visitors and spectators because it, what a wonderful place to host the Olympics. And thank you for those pictures because it brings us a little closer. Yeah. Yeah. But then separately, we got just a lovely email from a listener, Miho. Um, a good reminder that we have listeners in, from countries all over the world. Miho wrote to us and said, I had to write to thank you for your recent Olympic special podcast for so many reasons. So that was our episode last week, if you haven't listened. She said, I found myself in tears listening to the opening of your podcast. I really appreciated it that you started off with how you felt about the Olympics happening rather than immediately jumping to a very upbeat podcast. This has been such a difficult year for the Japanese people as we've had to juggle the fact that we had to put on these Olympics, which of course we were related to in the beginning, and fight this pandemic. One of the reasons why there has been so much worry and angst is because the Japanese people started to feel that the government was putting priority on the Olympics rather than the well-being and safety of the Japanese people. So then she describes a lot of what she's been feeling and doing and you know what's been going on in the country. And then she wrote, I really appreciated that you were not judgmental about how the Japanese have been reacting or have been handling the whole situation. We are all very confused, scared, sad, and worried. And of course, if it were to happen, we want it to be a success. Mm -hmm. So yeah, okay. Then she wrote, I love your podcast and it's so reassuring to know that kindness, respect, common sense, and good manners are still valued somewhere in this world. I often find myself laughing out loud on the metro in Tokyo while listening to you, and you have really pulled me through some difficult times. Oh, so, wow. wow. Thank you, Miho. And there's a lot more here. It was a lengthy message, and we really appreciate it. And, you know, I just want to say, like, so our season runs from September through now. As Liam said, this is our last episode of this season. And, you know, it's been a super challenging year for all of us. So, you know, Miho, if it lifts our spirits, 
that we can lift your spirits. For us, this is the podcasting gold medal. I feel like <laughs> I feel like you just awarded us the kind of success that we would really want to have because it's been hard this year to come up with a lot of fun things to talk about, you know. Anyway, so this was it was a pleasure to hear from you. We hope you stay well and stay healthy, and and that everyone uh, in Japan does too. So thank you very much to Miho, a very special listener who wrote us a very special letter. Thank you, Miho. Beautiful thank letter. You, Miho. Thank you. Well, we did kick off our Olympic viewing here in the United States. Liz and I were invited to a party at the LA Coliseum, which of course has already been home to two Olympic opening ceremonies and will again host in uh, 28. Um, it was a surprisingly delightful event, Liz. I mean, we didn't know what to expect. We're, no. we're, we're on the tail end of this invite list and we acknowledge yeah. that, but um, they promised Olympians and they delivered. I mean, first of all, everybody was in red, white, and blue. It was a Good. beautiful Good. evening. Because we talked about this last week about what mm-hmm. you like to wear. Good. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone was, was very festive, very patriotic, very excited the Olympics were happening. Most of the people at the party were supposed to be in Tokyo as you know, spectators, visitors, supporters of the U.S. Olympic team. So there was some level of disappointment, but just enthusiasm in general. The Olympic torch was lit. Uh, I guess you're supposed to call it the Coliseum Cauldron because the official Olympic torch is lit in Tokyo now, but there is one at obviously at the LA Coliseum. So that was lit. We were watching the highlights on the big screen and Carl Lewis was there mm-hmm. and he looked amazing. They introduced How Carl Lewis. How old is Carl Lewis now? Is you he... know, we were figuring, I didn't, I didn't fact check this, okay. but I think he's in his early sixties. He's a couple wow. years older than my husband and I, and my husband okay. is a huge track and field fan and went to every single day of the 84 Olympic trials here in Los Angeles. And so he went Went up and spoke to Carl Lewis and, and he told him about watching him in that hundred meter trial where seven of the top 10 athletes in the world were in that race at the U.S. trials. And Carl Lewis said it was the best race he ever ran. So he, oh. and yeah, doesn't that give well, you that's chills? a moment. That's it was. a moment for <laughs> your husband. Yeah. For your husband. Yeah. Julie, Carl Lewis is 60 years old. His birthday is July 1st. He was born okay. July 1st, 1961. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, and then our friend Corny was with us. She brought her volunteer jacket from the 1984 games. <laughs> okay. It was paper. It was one of those weird paper jackets. <laughs> those cheesy 80s. paper jackets. And it, it was, was still hilarious. in her closet. She still yeah. had it. Okay. Yes. Way to go, Corny Cole. Way to go. And, and so uh, we were with another friend, Nicole, and she said, get Carl Lewis to sign it. So don't you know she did? So he signed it and he took a great picture with her. I mean, they were just delighted to be there. And then Liz, you got to hold Misty May's medals. Yes. The Misty May trainer, the volleyball, like she has three medals. She's just they're just letting people manhandle them, Julie. You can like, oh, put on the medals, take your picture. They were so nice about it. Wow. She was like goofing off with Leon in some photos that yeah. uh, that I posted. They were all, you know, obviously the kind of people that the the Olympic Committee invites to these things are the ones that have fun interacting with the public. So Misty yeah, McTrainer well, right, was there. Their medals, right? Yeah. 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 Nathan yeah. Adrian, the swimmer, right. he was there. My God, he is a specimen. Am I allowed to yeah, use that a word? Bit, yeah, he's a he's just guy. a big, a big strong guy. guy. Yeah. 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 New father. Yeah, it was nice. It was super nice and very enthusiastic. A great way to kick off the event. Oh wait, and we got some pins on the way out. So that's good. <laughs> 
so today, as we record this podcast, breaking news, Simone Biles has stepped, stepped out of the team competition. Uh, she acknowledged that it was a mental health issue. So we wish her well. That is really a surprising turn of events. So as we record this, we don't know if she'll be back for the individual events. But Simone, we wish you well. That is we something. Do. We do. Yeah, that is something to have to do. I feel terrible for her. That was a shocker. And she is such a lovely person. The fact that she came back out and rooted for all of her teammates, that was amazing. Yeah. And the U.S. women went on to win silver. So great for them. I did hear a discussion afterwards with two of the um, previous gymnasts, Ali Reisman and Lori Fernandez. And they both said that the lack of crowds may really pose more issues than you think. And I thought that was really surprising, didn't you, mm. Liz? Yeah, you would yeah. think it would create more pressure to be in a stadium filled with people. Yeah. But maybe not for for our US, um, you know, for our US team, which is used used to being in you know, stadiums filled with people. So Right. And they were saying that's the emotional lift that sometimes you need. That's what um, that's what they were saying. Like you can be having a slightly off day, but the crowd just lifts you up. Right. And with no crowd, that emotionally off day can get worse instead of better. Mm -hmm. And so they were just thinking, you know, maybe that maybe that was a factor in in Simone's, Simone's decision um, and not to compete for the rest of the night. But mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I thought that was an interesting observation because that has been quite obvious, particularly in some of the events like the tennis or the beach volleyball, where the crowd really plays is a huge part in it uh, you have missed the crowds for sure as a viewer and i'm sure as beautiful venues all oh, everything we've seen so far gorgeous yes gorgeous absolutely beautiful and uh i did see some mountain biking where because it was 60 miles south of tokyo uh where they had different rules in place that they actually had fans along the course and that was exciting and fun to see yeah yeah um, all right, so we wish Simone well. An update on Cat Holmes, the fencer we spoke to last week that inspired so many in the Satellite Sisterhood to watch fencing for the first time and to try to figure out how to do that. Um, Kate, Kat has finished up her competition. She did not get the results she wanted, but I thought her attitude was amazing. I, I want to personally thank her for introducing me to Epe because I found myself just, you know, tracking her down on my computer on Peacock and watching <laughs> when I could. That is such a physical sport. I would last about 32 seconds. Like oh, really? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, gosh. I mean, they are just stabbing people like, all the time. <laughs> so, it's so dramatic looking. It is it really is. true. So dramatic to watch. It is. So we want to we wanna thank Kat for her great spirit. You've made uh, a real impression on the Satellite a Sisterhood. True Olympian. Yes. A true Olympian. Yes. Enjoy your vacation and then study hard in med school. That's what your mom would want us to say. So study hard. A <laughs> <laughs> couple of other highlights for me in the that's why they play the games category. I mean, that Alaskan swimmer last night that brought home that gold medal. Oh, my God. Holy cow. That was great. That 17-year-old with her family watching and the friends cheering from Alaska. That is a great Olympic moment. Just unbelievable. I mean, we've always said the great thing about the Olympics is the Olympians. And whether but it's, it's so, many, so many unexpected moments, unexpected yeah. wins, and that's what keeps it really exciting and fun to watch. And if you have, you know, if you haven't started watching, you should watch the Olympics. It's great. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, Lydia Jacoby, way to go. You really lifted our spirits last night and your friends, your friends in Alaska jumping up and down. That was the great, greatest. I also caught the um, Turkish women's volleyball team just crushing China and they went, which was really unexpected. And China was the gold medal winner last time. And again, the women's volleyball players are all like supermodels who, who can <laughs> crush the ball. I mean, they're just all unbelievable looking. And they were so thrilled with that first round victory over China. That was exciting. Um, I have to say, I do love the shots of all the families in the U.S. at the watch parties. I think that that's fun. working for NBC. That mm -hmm. is one tiny, you know, way to replicate the excitement of that. But you do get to see some fun shots of people in their living rooms and backyards. And I was very happy for the British diver, Tom Daly, that he won oh his gold medal. Oh my gosh, that was wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Hey, I missed that. Was that oh. unexpected or has he been at it oh, for a long he's time? He's been at it for a long time. Ever, Liz. Ever a real journey um and uh so he won in the synchronized um doubles diving and they beat the chinese and they just it was a great great moment so he was super happy his you know his husband and son are we're back uh we're in canada watching uh so they weren't able to see it but you know they'd be there live but he felt like this was his moment, and now he has a son to share his gold medal with. Ah, yeah, tears it was all super around. Great. Tears <laughs> all around for that. Okay, yeah, it was super great. I'm sure I can go find that on Peacock. Yes, There's a little bit it. of everything there. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, I got a text last night from our sister Monica. Many of you know Monica, also a big sports fan, and she texted, "I didn't understand." anything about the scoring in street style skateboarding but i loved those little girls and uh that's the way i felt too i, I really enjoyed watching the girls street women's girls street style skateboarding like it was a 13 year old girl from japan i love it when the host country has some surprising wins yeah so she won the gold medal in this first ever competition for skateboarding so you kind of go down in history if you're the first ever to win the medal which is great and she's the second youngest champion in Olympics history. So her name is Momji Nishaya, oh, Nishia, and she's from Osaka. And so she was awesome. The silver went to Brazil's Raisa Leal, also 13 years old. I mean, come on. And oh then the, the bronze went to a 19-year-old uh, Japanese girl, Funa Nakayama. And you know, I don't know. I just got a kick out of watching them. Yeah, I didn't know what was happening or what the scoring was. Like the just to see a sport where like girls rule. I am all for that. I just <laughs> for that, and they're fully clothed. I will admit, I enjoy that part of it. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I I I predict that skateboarding will become a huge sport because. Olympic, you know, parents that want their children to be Olympic stars, they're looking around at various sports. Okay, skateboarding, you can gold medal by, by the time you're 13. Okay, mm -hmm. do you know how much money you're saving on coaches and travel, <laughs> right? I mean, this is a sport to put your children in. Okay, 13, yeah. it's all wrapped up. You got a gold medal, all right? <laughs> I just hope they don't overly professionalize it, you know, because it's there done, is something. Liz. It's done. It's oh done. My God, because I don't know how you guys felt, but like the the Australian swimmer that beat Katie Ledecky the other night, right? They they showed an interview with her coach, and then they showed her coach going crazy after she won. And yeah. I can understand the coach's enthusiasm, but I personally thought he was scary. 
I I don't know. I don't know I how you got it. Oh, he, was, he was super psyched. Yes. It's going to be a meme, Lee, and you'll see it. Okay. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. the meme was funny. It was the interview before that I was like, wow, I don't know. There's something about these guys bossing these young women around that it just rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> I will admit no. that. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's what happens. Anyway, so um, the Brazilian, Leal, she first became famous as a skateboarder when she was seven years old, okay. doing a heel flip in a princess dress and wings that Tony Hawk just happened to post like on his Instagram or something. Just saw her doing something. Anyway, so you love that. But the second best part of Olympic skateboarding is the lingo. So, you know, just as in skating, you have to learn terms like double saw cow and in gymnastics, Simone Biles taught us about the Yurchenko double pike, of course. Um, it's funny to hear them, the commentators doing the skateboarding because some of them totally get the lingo. You can tell who's from the sport and others okay. just have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> just, just no idea. So you have, you know, you've got your ollie and your nolly, right? Your ollie is a trick in which the skater uses their feet to pull the skateboard up into the air. And the nolly is short for nose ollie, obviously. So you got your ollie and your nolly. You got your fakie and your goofy. So that's to ride your skateboard backward or to ride right foot forward. So, you know, I think we all know that by now, right? Fakie and goofy. Um, <laughs> Again, it seems like language for 13-year-olds. Okay. Yes. This is what I love is about this. Is there going to be a quiz about this, Liz, at the end here? No, they made up all the words, and I enjoy that part of it. They've got the grind and the crooked grind. I won't even bother to explain that. And then one piece of slang in skateboarding, which I enjoy, and I'm sure most parents would enjoy, is brain bucket which is what they call the helmet, which seems yes. like super important when you look at the tricks that the, especially these girls are doing. So keep your brain bucket on girls, but we wish you well. I did notice the men were not wearing. I noticed that buckets, too. Did not understand that. Incredibly stupid. So just like to register that. Uh, okay. <laughs> good land. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. So Olympics, we're, we're into it. We love all your commentary on the Facebook group. People are sharing, caring, posting whatever they want to post over there. I, I, you know, spoilers, non-spoilers, who knows what time it is. We're all watching on different things. We, we can follow yeah. on Twitter. I, I don't have anything to say about that. It's on every channel, everywhere you look. So just post away is what I say. <laughs> um, all right, Liz, you have one entertaining sisters quickly before we... Uh, do I do. There's a three-part documentary series that came out right before the Olympics started. It's on Peacock and it's called The 96 Effect. And it's fantastic. It is the story of all the women that really broke through so many barriers at the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. So it's the softball team, the gymnastics team, the women's soccer team, and the women's basketball team. You know, 96 was just a super year for those kinds of new milestones. And so this is three episodes that sort of goes back through that. I really loved watching it. It was also made by friends of the Satellite Sisters, the, the twin sister filmmakers who we've had on the show before, Lisa Lass and Nancy Stern. Uh, their production company is called Lookalike Productions. And they were the ones that made this, um, made the 96 effect for NBC. So go to Peacock, take a look at that. It's just really fun and dramatic and just a great reminder of like where these moments of progress have been. Obviously, we're still working on it, but 96 was a big, 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 big year. 
All right. That's a great recommendation. I saw several people on our Facebook group recommend it too. So if you're, if you're not getting enough live sports in that one and a half hours where there's a, a lull <laughs> of right. coverage right. so they can go to local news, that's what you yeah. do. You watch the 96 effect. Um, okay. We would like to thank our sponsors for this week's Satellite Sisters. Thank you for supporting our show. And thanks to you for supporting the sponsors that support Satellite Sisters. Liz always puts the sponsors and the links in the show notes. Mm -hmm. So if you can't remember the codes, that's the place to check, right? Just yeah. right in the show notes. You do a great job. Mm -hmm. A big thanks to our engineer, Sergio Enriquez. It's been a long year, Sergio. You've been there for us. Thank you so much. You know, it's hard to believe we haven't seen you in person for 16, 16 months, isn't it? That's crazy. That's, yeah. That seems wow. unbelievable. But thank you, Sergio, for always making us sound great and, and piecing together uh, the August shows. We appreciate that. A big thanks to our graphic designer, Emily Loudermilk. She's relatively new, well, within the last year, new on the team. And we're so glad to have Emily doing the graphics. If you haven't seen Emily's fun graphics, it means you're not subscribed to Pep Talk uh, or <laughs> to our Instagram account because we love reposting Emily's graphics there. We're at Sat Sisters on Instagram. Instagram, and you can sign up for our newsletter right at SatelliteSisters.com. All right, we are finishing up. Uh, finishing up, we're excited. Um, but let's talk about our to-do list for the week. Mm -hmm. Okay, I am excited that um, I have a new book coming out next year, Lost and Found in Paris. That's so exciting, Leanne. I love Congratulations. it. Congratulations. Thank you of course, very much. we haven't read it. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, well, that's just so FYI. Okay, carry on, Leanne. <laughs> no problem. No resentment. No, okay. it's, okay. Do you want me to send you a 360-page no, no, Word have. document? I mean, I, no. no. I, I know you have your process. Yes. It's, not, it's not in book form yet, uh, but it should be after this week. I have to do the copy edits, which is 100% my least favorite part of the writing process. It is terrifying. What happens is like a really good copy editor has gone through and tracked changes and done all the grammatic things and all the fact checking and every and made all the corrections and you have to go through super carefully and accept or reject the changes. Mm. And they make it sound like if you blow it, they are going to punish you. So, I mean, they are not fooling around. You cannot mess with the document at this point. And I am not particularly good at track changes. It's not something I use a lot. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't track changes. I don't care. I just retype things. And uh, so this is terrifying to me. And then as just an extra added bonus, they, they do what they call a style sheet for each book. So then they list on several pages, all of the grammatical mistakes you make over and over and over again in the document and then tell you how they fixed your bad grammar. So it's just, it's oh, really, that's inspiring. That it's intimidating. Wow. It's yeah. so intimidating and I have to turn it in by Friday and I have kind of been dragging my feet. So almost immediately after this podcast, I have to refocus. I have three days to go through all the. It's a good way to start your vacation. It is. It is. But Liz, they posted the announcement for the book last week, and this is how my editor described it. The Thinking Woman's Ultimate Escapist Venture in Paris. <gasps> how does that okay. sound? That, that sounds, sounds like a book great. I am going to buy. Right, you do those track changes, sister. Okay. Or maybe you'd like to do my to-do, which is much better, Leanne. Okay? This time of year, you know what it is? It's BLT weather. Okay? 
this is the time of year where the tomatoes are perfect, the lettuce, <laughs> the bacon. Make yourself a nice BLT, okay? If oh. you don't like the bacon, you can put avocado in there. But uh, <laughs> this is the time of year. Okay. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> that's, that's very, very thoughtful. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consider that once I get back from my mini vacay. Okay, for me... Um, this is it. It's track and field time, baby. This is the, you know, the second half of the Olympics. It's always all about track and field. Many of you listeners know that I've been working in the track and field world the last couple of years. So mainly with the USA team, but really from athletes from all over the world. And Team USA is awesome. So now that I follow most of them on Twitter, I've seen Every single one of them posted pictures of their airplane seats for some reason. Like, look at me, I'm in 2B. And like they just had <laughs> great airplane seats up flying to Tokyo. So I've seen that. I've seen all the tours of their rooms in the Olympic Village, you know, the cardboard beds where they're storing all their shoes, all that kind of stuff. So that's been fun. I've seen them walking around the Olympic Village because they can do a lot of that. But now it's time to see them on the track. So July 30th through August 8th is track and field at the Olympics. And I am super psyched. Go team. Go team. All right, everybody. That's it. We're going to be off in August, but new shows, shows that are new to you. So, (laughs) uh, all right, sisters. Hey, have a great vacay. You too. You too, Leanne. (laughs) And don't, don't forget, call your satellite sister.